Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I continue, I'd like to mention that you can support the podcast through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash CanadaX. That's E-H-X. Every dollar you give helps to keep this podcast going. In Canada, we know that the country is led by a Prime Minister and has been since 1867. In provinces, there have been Premiers, and even before a province had a Premier, the territory was still governed over by a Prime Minister. That is the case for every part of Canada, except one. Newfoundland did not join Confederation until 1949, and for a few decades prior to that, it didn't have a Premier. It had a Prime Minister. Today I'm looking at the Prime Ministers of Newfoundland, ten in total, who led the island for nearly 30 years. Before we get to the Prime Ministers of Newfoundland, we need to look at the 1907 Imperial Conference. At this conference, which began on April 15, 1907 and continued until May 14, 1907, it was decided to cease referring to self-governing British colonies as colonies, and instead refer to them under the Dominion status. Canada and Australia were referred to as Dominions in this conference, and the Newfoundland colony was given Dominion status by Royal Proclamation on September 26th. At this conference, Robert Bond represented the island colony as he was the Premier at the time, and had been since 1900. Beginning on September 26, 1907, he would gain the title of Prime Minister of Newfoundland. So let's begin our look at the Prime Ministers of Newfoundland with Bond. Bond was born in St. John's on February 25, 1857. Following the death of his father in 1872, Bond was left with a great deal of money and would travel to England to be educated before coming back to Newfoundland. In 1882, he would get involved in politics and become the Liberal leader in 1897 and eventually Premier on March 15, 1900. Prior to being Premier, he began to serve as the Colonial Secretary in 1889, which was the second most powerful political position in the government. As the Colonial Secretary, he would resolve the French Shore problem. Following the end of Queen Anne's War in 1713, the treaty gave Britain control over Newfoundland, but French fishermen were given the right to catch and cure fish along the stretch of the coast along the western side of the Great Northern Peninsula. 
Newfoundlanders had argued for the right to fish and establish settlements along the French shore for many years, and this would occur despite the objections of the French. A compromise to the issue would eventually be reached in 1890. Going into his time as Premier, it was marked by strained relations with the United States, which reached a critical point in 1905 when Newfoundland fishermen clashed with Americans trying to buy bait on shore. Following becoming Prime Minister, Bond would go through his first election in the new title in 1908, when both parties earned 18 seats out of 36. This created a tie. Bond asked the governor if he could form a government, but he was told he would not be able to because he had to elect a member as Speaker. Edward Morris, the opposition leader, asked if he could, and he was sworn in as Prime Minister, but his government failed as soon as the Newfoundland Parliament convened. This created an election in 1909 that Morris would win because he had control over government funds, ending Bond's position as Prime Minister of Newfoundland on March 2, 1909. Bond would resign as a Liberal leader in January of 1914, but the Liberals would try to persuade him to return in 1919 and 1923. He would pass away at the age of 70 on March 16, 1927. The MV Sir Robert Bond would be named for him and serve as the ferry that linked many communities on the island for over four decades. And the first decade of the 20th century, led by Sir Robert Bond, is often referred to as the Golden Age of Newfoundland. Born on May 8, 1859, in St. John's, Edward Morris would attend the University of Ottawa as a young man and become a lawyer in a practice with his brother Francis. He would receive a knighthood in 1904 and would serve as the counsel to the British government during the North American Fisheries Arbitration in 1910. He was also the governor of the Newfoundland Savings Bank from 1889 to 1913 and was first elected to the Newfoundland House Assembly in 1885. Initially a liberal, he split with the party due to his strained relationship with Bond, creating the Independent Party, which he would lead from 1898 to 1900. In 1907, after seven years in an alliance with Bond, Morris would split with him again and form the People's Party. Following his election as Prime Minister of Newfoundland on March 2, 1909, he would enjoy strong support from the Catholics of the island, and significant opposition from the Protestants. Serving as the leader of the island throughout the First World War, he represented Newfoundland at the Imperial War Conference in London. In the 1913 election, he would see a seat majority drop from 10 seats to 5, and he would only win 41% of the vote. Due to the crisis over conscription and the decline in his popularity amid accusations of wartime profiteering and conflict of interest, he would decide to invite the opposition to form a national government in 1917 to oversee the duration of the war. On December 31, 1917, he would retire as Prime Minister. The following year, he was made the first Baron Morris, becoming the only Newfoundland-born person to ever receive the honour. He would then move to London and take his seat in the House of Lords, spending the rest of his life there and only coming back to Newfoundland once. He would die on October 24, 1935, at the age of 76. Succeeding Morris following his resignation would be John Chalker Crosby. Crosby would be the third Prime Minister of Newfoundland, but only in a caretaker status. He had been born on September 11, 1876 in Newfoundland and would build a strong fortune which he would lose before building another one in the Crosby & Company business that became one of the leading fish exporters in Newfoundland. He had served in Newfoundland politics since 1908 and he would serve as Prime Minister of Newfoundland for a total of six days until January 5, 1918 
when he was succeeded by William Lloyd. Crosby would continue to serve in government, becoming the Minister of Shipping in 1919 and the Minister of Finance and Customs from 1924 to 1928, and he would pass away in St. John's at the age of 56 on October 5, 1932. Born in England on December 17, 1864, William Lloyd would emigrate to Newfoundland in 1890 and begin to teach school before becoming a journalist and editor of the Telegram. First elected to the Newfoundland House of Assembly in 1904 as a Liberal, he would become the leader of the opposition in 1916. With the Morris government facing backlash over conscription, he would help form the national government I had mentioned earlier with Morris, serving as the Attorney General. Upon the retirement of Morris, Lloyd was asked to form a government. Lloyd agreed and would serve as the Prime Minister of Newfoundland from January 5, 1918 to May 22, 1919. His downfall would occur when the Minister of Finance, William Cashin, who had succeeded Morris as a leader of the People's Party, moved a motion of no confidence. Cashin would defeat Lloyd in the election, becoming the new Prime Minister and pushing Lloyd to the opposition once again. Lloyd would continue to serve in government, including as the Minister of Justice in 1924. He would pass away at the age of 72 on June 13, 1937. Born in Newfoundland on September 29, 1864, Michael Cashin was first elected to the Newfoundland House of Assembly in 1893 and would work closely with the Liberal Party. In 1907, he joined the Newfoundland People's Party under Morris, becoming the Minister of Finance in 1909. Upon the resignation of Morris, Cashin succeeded him as the leader of the party. When the national government was formed with Lloyd, Cashin became the Minister of Finance under that united government. On May 20, 1919, he would move the motion of no confidence against the government he was a member of at that point. This motion passed, and he became the Prime Minister. His term as Prime Minister would begin on May 22, 1919, and continue until November 17, 1919. Near the end of his term, due to the First World War, the Newfoundland House of Assembly had not seen an election in six years, and it was felt that an election was long overdue. The election was called for November 1919, and Cashin would see his government defeated. As leader of the opposition, Cashin would change the name of the party from the People's Party to the Liberal Labour Progressive Party, before choosing to retire as leader in 1923 due to his ill health from diabetes. In 1925, he would receive an honorary degree from Niagara University for his public career, and he would pass away on August 24, 1926. Upon his death, Joseph Robert Smallwood would write, from the fishing boat to the Prime Minister's chair he went. He started in common with every fisherman, and he never forgot that such was his beginning. With him down through his forty years of public endeavor, he carried the wholesome tang of the sea. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
Next up in the Prime Minister's chair was Richard Squires. Squires had been born in Harbour Grace, Newfoundland on January 18, 1880, and began to practice law as a young man in St. John's. He would join the People's Party in 1908 and get elected into the Newfoundland House of Assembly in 1913, serving as the member of the Morris government until 1918. During that time, he would serve as both the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General. In 1919, he started to campaign for the vacant leadership of the Liberal Party and won the position. That same year, he would win the 1919 election thanks to an alliance he formed with the Fishermen's Protective Union, calling the party the Liberal Reform Party. He would serve as both Prime Minister and Colonial Secretary. Under his first term, yes I said first, as Prime Minister he would start development of the Humber River and he would attempt to implement several reforms that would regulate the fishing industry, but these failed with the collapse in fish prices which many blamed the reforms for. His government also attempted to diversify the economy of the island, including assisting the Reed Newfoundland Company, which was in financial difficulty. The government would eventually nationalize this railway in 1923. The term was not an easy one for Squires. He would see the value of Newfoundland's exports fall by 40%, and the debt of the island would reach $60 million, or $896 million today. That all being said, under his leadership, the Department of Education would be created, which also provided non-denominational schools for children to attend. Several national war memorials were established, including the one in France to honour the Battle of Beaumont Hamel, something I covered last week on the podcast. He would oppose women's suffrage in private, but not in public. As well, many of his colleagues were suspicious of him, and the fact that he spent 16 of the 41 months of his term elsewhere did not help matters. In the same year of 1923, Squires' government came under heavy accusation of taking bribes to win the election that year. Alex Campbell was at the centre of the scandal, and many cabinet ministers demanded that he be forced to resign, which Squires refused to do. As a result, the ministers said they would cross the floor, and the Attorney General, William Warren, who Squires had defeated for the leadership of the Liberal Party back in 1919, issued an arrest warrant for Squires. Squires was soon arrested, and released on bond, and then promptly resigned as Prime Minister. He would then sit as an independent in the House of Assembly, and will return to Squires in a little bit. Next up in the chair for Prime Minister was the man who created the arrest warrant on Squires, William Warren, and he would soon go through one of the craziest years of Newfoundland's history. Born on October 9, 1879, Warren would become a lawyer and solicitor in 1901, Two years later, he was elected to the House of Assembly as a Liberal, serving as a Speaker from 1909 to 1913. In 1919, he became the Minister of Justice. On July 24, 1923, he would become the next Prime Minister of Newfoundland and the leader of the party. A formal inquiry was launched into the corruption charges that resulted in the arrest of Squires, but Warren's supporters soon turned against him and moved a motion of no confidence to bring down his government. At this point, we have the very brief career of Albert Hickman. As for Warren, he would sit in the opposition before resigning from the House of Assembly, and in 1926 he was appointed to the Newfoundland Supreme Court. He would pass away one year later on December 31, 1927. Now, Albert Hickman was born on August 2, 1875, and he was a prominent businessman in Newfoundland who would serve as the Prime Minister of Newfoundland for a total of 33 days. From May 10, 1924 to June 9, 1924, he was in a caretaker position after the collapse of the government. 
Hickman was asked by the governor to form a government, and Hickman invited members of the Liberal Reform Party and members of other parties into his government in what he called the Liberal Progressive Party. His new party would lose the 1924 election since supporters of Warren had created their own party, the Liberal Conservative Progressive Party. Hickman would serve as leader of the opposition until 1928 when he retired from politics, and he would pass away on February 9, 1943. Born on May 14, 1871 in Ireland, Walter Stanley Monroe was the son of the Solicitor General for Ireland and would be educated at Harrow's School in England. He would come to Newfoundland at the age of 17 in 1888 and become a successful businessman, and he would come to power in the 1924 election, beginning his term as the Prime Minister of Newfoundland on June 9, 1924. During his time as Prime Minister, he would settle the Labrador boundary dispute with Quebec after arguing the case at the Privy Council in London. He would abolish personal income tax and reduce corporate taxes paid by banks. He also passed a bill that gave women the right to vote on April 13, 1925, he would resign as Prime Minister on August 15, 1928 to return to private life, and his cousin, Frederick Alderdice, became the Prime Minister. He would pass away on October 6, 1952 at the age of 81. He was the only Prime Minister of Newfoundland to ever live long enough to see Newfoundland join Confederation. Born on November 10, 1871 in Ireland, Alderdice was a businessman who would be appointed to the Legislative Assembly in 1924 and become the leader of the Liberal Conservative Progressive Party when his cousin stepped down. He would take over as Prime Minister on August 15, 1928, but soon found himself out of a job by November 17th of that same year after he lost a general election to a name from the past, Richard Squires. Squires had seen four governments fall during his time in the opposition, and he would spend that time working in the background for a return to power. After the 1928 election, Squires would soon find himself back in the chair of the Prime Minister. Things were looking promising, even his wife became the first woman to sit in the Newfoundland House of Assembly when she was elected. Unfortunately, the Great Depression popped up, and further allegations of corruption against Squires, along with a massive economic crisis, brought a lot of anger from voters. In 1932, Peter John Cashin would resign as finance minister after he accused his fellow cabinet ministers of corruption and squires of falsifying council records to hide the fact that he'd been taking secret payments from public funds. These accusations inflamed the public that was dealing with severe financial troubles. On April 5th of that year, a large parade was organized by the official opposition and they marched to the Colonial Building, the seat of the House of Assembly. There were 10,000 people in this parade, and it would soon go out of control and become the 1932 Colonial Building Riot. When no one came to address the crowd, people began to grow angry and began to break into the building, forcing Squires and his government members to leave out the back. Squires was nearly seized by the crowd as he tried to get into a cab, but he was able to run through a house on Colonial Street to another cab. Rioters then began to set the building on fire, but were unable to do so. Total damage to the building was pegged at $10,000, or $180,000 in today's funds. Squires had to dissolve the government and call an election, which he would lose both for his government and his seat. Out of 28 seats, his party would only pick up two, and Alderdice would come back into power as Prime Minister. As for Squires, he would pass away at the age of 60 in 1940. Now Alderdice, he would take over a government in shambles when he became Prime Minister again on June 11th, 1932. Unable to deal with the economic crisis any better than Squires did, he did propose defaulting on the debt of the island, but instead received financial aid from Canada and Britain. 
both countries would come together to create an imperial royal commission to investigate the future of the dominion of Newfoundland. The commission would decide to suspend responsible government in Newfoundland and appoint a commission of government to rule the island. Alderdice was pressured to accept the recommendations without calling an election or submitting it for a referendum. He agreed, and in 1933, the legislature voted itself out of existence. Alderdice would pass away at the age of 63 on February 26, 1936. His term as Prime Minister officially ended on February 16, 1934. The 1932 election would be the last election Newfoundland would see for 17 years until the island entered into confederation with Canada. I go now to a CBC Radio News report from April 1, 1949, from when Newfoundland officially joined confederation. Joseph McSween of the Canadian Press attended the ceremonies today in St. John's when the citizenship certificate was presented to the Lieutenant Governor. He reports now from St. John's. The bearing of those taking part in the ceremony was serious. They were visibly affected by their role in the historic event. Joseph R. Smallwood, Petri Little Apostle of Confederation, was called upon to form an interim government. He was sworn in as interim premier by Chief Justice Sir Edward Emerson, acting governor. As such, Mr. Smallwood will head an executive council until a provincial is held, uh, a provincial election is held proudly late in May. It was the culmination of long negotiations and processes which began in June 1946, uh, when a national convention was elected to study forms of government for the island. Going further back, it was the realization of a dream as old as Canada. The architects of the British North America Act, under which Canada came into being, made provision for the possible entry of Newfoundland. The effects of Confederation already have been felt widely in Newfoundland. Prices in many, many commodities have dropped drastically, such as in clothing and food. Railway passenger and freight rates also were flat. The feelings of the public were generally, as is understandable, understandable somewhat mixed. Perhaps the predominant feeling was expressed by a seal hunter who returned from the northern ice flows last night on the Terra Nova. This man, who voted anti-Confederate in the referendum that decided the issue of union, said, We're in it now and we're going to be good Canadians. But whatever they want to call me, I'll still be a Newfoundlander at heart. By the union, Newfoundland, Newfoundland makes vast gains in federal grants, especially from old-age pensions and the so-called so baby bonus. For people who have suffered much in the past from economic and political upheavals, hope for a more stable economy and a higher standard of living. But they will carry with them into confederation a great patriotism for the old Newfoundland, which produced a people with the reputation of being the most hospitable on earth. Like the seal hunter, most islanders will be good Canadians, but they will remain Newfoundlanders at heart. Canada now stretches from Cape Race on the easternmost tip of Newfoundland across 3,700 miles to the western border of the Yukon. Canada stretches through no less than seven time zones. It's now just 10 minutes to midnight in Newfoundland. In Dawson City in the Yukon, it's only 6.20 p.m. With that, Newfoundland joined Canada, and the men who served as Prime Minister over the course of those 30 years played no small role in making that union happen. Information comes from CBC, Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Newfoundland Heritage, and Biography.ca. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating and review. Again, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash CanadaX, and you can email me any questions you have at craig at canadax.com. 
You can also visit my website where I have hundreds of articles on Canada's history by going to canadax.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.